I can't imagine how it's going to be when all the saints of the ages are gathered together and we're singing the songs of redemption. Can you? You can be seated. We've got a baby to dedicate today before we speak. Brett and Katie will bring their little son. We'll dedicate him to the Lord today. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in from the fields of sin. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring the Zion, little Zion, that's a great name, isn't it? You like it too? (laughs) Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, sometimes a baby born to a mother and a father can be such a blessing to the world as we come to this time that we think about you coming to the earth. It must have been such an amazing thing that day whenever she brought you before the priest. Wasn't all dressed up like this little fellow is today. Did not have all nice clothes. Looked so pretty. But they wrapped you in swaddling clothes, made you in a manger. Nevertheless, it was a life that would change the world. Father, we want to bring little Zion to you today. We ask you, Lord, that you would just help the mother, the father, Lord, that they can be able to instill in him your ways, your truth, Lord. May the Spirit of God watch over him, Lord. Keep him, dear God. Help them, Father, that they can be able to bring him up in a way that's pleasing to you. We dedicate his little life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. There you go, buddy. I've got it upside down. Sound like to me, he's wanting my job. stand together. I know our nation has been doing it for decades now, but it's still more than I can comprehend in my mind that a real mother would want to kill a baby. Isn't it strange where we are? We save trees and kill babies. Somebody done something to a dog or a cat or an animal, and I certainly don't believe in animal cruelty either, but yet they fight to save trees. They protest whenever certain trees are going to be cut down and kill babies every day. God have mercy. What What a condition that our world has gone into. There's only one hope for us, friends. 
That's the coming of the Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad you believe that today? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16. Such a privilege for us to be gathered together today in the house of the Lord. I always feel kind of sad myself around Christmas time for what people make out of it, what they turn it into. It's no more about Jesus than it's about me. It's, you know, it's just buying and selling and families. Nothing wrong with families being together on Christmas, but I think as Christians, the focus of it ought to be with thanksgiving in our hearts that he come to the earth to redeem us. I trust we never forget that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, Petra, and upon this rock, Peter means little stone, and upon this rock I will build my church, Ecclesia, those who are called out from their homes into a special place. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I trust we're a part of that church today. Let's turn also to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Again, Jesus speaking, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to Google. And then put it on Facebook. And then Instagram. And why do people do it? If you don't come this way right here, and you put it on Facebook first, you are breaking God's word. Praise the Lord. I guess I've killed it, ain't I? Hey, friends, it's the truth. It's the truth. Now, I want you to notice the spiritual judicial authority that the Lord Jesus gave to his church. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen and as a publican. The word publican here is the same word used for tax collector. Tax collector. So no matter how much a person came to church, if they would not hear the church, this was God's final authority on the earth. I wonder how many message folks even believe this is the truth. Well, I know one that does. The Lord Jesus wasn't bumping his gums, friends. He wasn't just saying words. 
This is what he meant for the church to be. I trust we're a part of that group today. I mean, a lot to be remembered as we pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the church. Dear Jesus, we ask you that you would speak to us today from your word. May we realize the awesome responsibility given to us to be identified as part of the church of the living God. Help us to assume this responsibility, Lord, by actions, not only by words, but may we live out the living church, the oracles, the principles, the dictates of your heart. Speak to us today, Father, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I realize because there's so much in the world today under the auspices of the title church, the real respect for the church of the living God has been forfeited and done away with many, many years ago. Actually, before any of us were ever even born, the name church had been so loosely used and identified with all sorts of cults, clans, all kinds of things that was not authenticated by God at all. But yet, they were called the church. Now, there's many different organizations, of course, that we could mention today, and you know many of them, no doubt. And because of that, people will take the word church, and it's so lightly to them, Oh, yeah, sure. I know all kinds of church people, and I live as good as they do. Well, that may be true. But that does not do away with what the Lord Jesus said, that upon this rock of revelation, he would build his church. And his church would actually be his representative body on the earth. Through that body, he would carry out his gospel for seven church ages. He would actually act through their bodies. He would project his light through them. He would illuminate through them. He would heal through them. He would reach the lost. He would propagate his own seed of spiritual birth through that body called the church. I realize that even for many of us that have been raised in church, as we say, most of our life. Yet, I wonder how many of us still view it in the right way of the apostolic placing of the church. I'm convinced that many of the message people do not because of the way they look at church and the way they consider God's divine protocol. They look at church as if though it was an option of Christianity. And many, many outside, of course, of the message do the same thing. We've never been in an hour when church attendance has been looked upon as such a light and unnecessary thing. Even in our own nation, not just since COVID, but pre-COVID, and it will be post-COVID as well, 
that many don't really consider church attendance or church association a part of Christianity. And yet, how contrary that is to the Bible itself. You see, without the church, there was no identification of Christianity. It was not like that there was Christianity and then there's this other thing called the church that is totally, completely optional. It's not really even necessary. And yet we know the hour that we live in, we have so many that are called Christians and so many that are religious and yet have no church affiliation whatsoever. None whatsoever. And yet when you look at that in the pages of the Bible, you realize that that is so far from the apostolic foundation of the way the Lord Jesus intended for it to be. Now remember, it was not Peter, James, John, Paul, Bartholomew, Matthew, any of the original apostolic fathers that actually founded the church. It was the Lord Jesus himself. So people then who argue with the authenticity of the church, with the necessity of the church, they're not arguing with me or with you, but they are arguing with the founder himself. I don't know about you, I don't want to get no argument with him. So he could have established it upon the basis of government alone. And he could have said, Upon this rock, I will build my government. And I'll have a president, I'll have a senate, I'll have a house of representatives, and I'll have magistrates, and I'll have police, and I'll have constable. If that's what he would have wanted, he could have done that. For he did that in the days of Ezra and in the days of Nehemiah. You see, these men were not just religious leaders, but they came to restore the civil government in the land of Israel. God used a woman by the name of Deborah, which was going to be a leader that would go out and be able to fight a battle. Why? Because God chose her thus. So God could have established his uh, society, if we wish to call it that way, and he could have made it like an elk's lodge, or he could have made it like the Masons, or he could have made it whatever he desired. And he could have called it the old age lady society. He could have called it the red hat society, or the blue hat, or the pink hat, or no hat. But instead, he wanted something that had never been before. And he would call it this exclusive, wonderful name, church. Now, Satan had never heard this name before. It had never been uttered as far as we know. So once Satan heard it, and then he started watching the principal building of it and the foundation of it, then it took him a little while to make his own copy. Now, Satan, we know, is not an originator, but he is a copier of what God does. So Satan had to watch the church in its first onset, as its stages first began, 
and kind of figure out what, what, what does he mean, church? What is that exactly? Is it a society? Is it a gathering of people that are like a government? How are they going to get in? What will be the stipulation of being part of that church? Will you come just by, you acknowledge, well, I desire, I want to join this society, and I wish to be a part of it. How do you get in? And the Lord Jesus didn't really give all of the format himself, but he allowed a little bit of the breaking of the light of what would transpire, and then as the church become established, he released a little bit more of illumination under Peter, a little bit more of illumination under James, a little bit more under John, but the great magnitude of the illumination of how you come in the church, what the church was, what its duty was, was under the first church age messenger. Then Paul, of course, in 1 Corinthians 12, tells us, for by one spirit we're all baptized into that one body. We know the Lord did this on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost. But you see, there's another founding on that same day that many people overlook. The Lord God established his church on the day of Pentecost in the upper room by receiving the Holy Ghost. But the Bible tells us that Peter and them went out and they began to preach and there were several thousand more that were added to the church that day, but it doesn't say anything about them getting the Holy Ghost. But as a matter of fact, what you'll find, the prophet said that the Catholic Church actually began on the day of Pentecost. Well, it certainly didn't begin in the upper room. Where did it begin at? On people who professed they believed the same thing but didn't have the same experience. Now notice, so they were added to the church and people then started coming in. And they started identifying themselves and they were not born again. And we know that there were men that even started going out and preaching and they wanted to do the works of God and they thought that they could get the power of God by buying it with money. You remember that in the scripture? And they also began to go out and Paul said that some preach Christ of contention. Some preach Christ to add to my bonds. Can you imagine a man being a preacher just for the sake to cause a hardship on true men of God. Some men preached in the days of Paul that they might make it more difficult for Paul. Well, there's some that do the same today. And there's some that preach out of contention. And they preach out of deception. Why? Well, if you cannot defeat it, as we looked at Wednesday night, then the next thing to do is join it and defeat it from within. So where did this all come from? Well, it's easy to see that it was Satan learning as the church was now growing. So it didn't take him long to see that people would be able to profess that they were part of this move without having the same Holy Ghost experience that the 120 received in the upper room. So they just come in and they say, well, I believe the same thing he believes. Well, what do you believe? Whatever he believes. Well, what does he believe? Well, he believes what he believes and I believe what he believes. So we believe the same thing. 
Well, you see, to some people, that's enough. That convinces them that this person is a believer. And this is why Paul admonished the New Testament church that they should know those that labor among them. You know, anybody can get up and say they're a preacher. It just always amazes me how that men will ask men to their pulpit to preach. And they don't even check them out from the church they're from. They don't even call the pastor or anybody else as far as that goes to find out about the credibility of these people, but they just invite them into the pulpit. Do you realize when men do that, they are breaking God's word? They are breaking God's word because this is the foundation that has been laid. And yet we say we have been restored back to the original faith. I wonder. I wonder. Yet we know that because of that, then Satan picked up the term church and then he identified his own body, which is Miss Satan, his own body impregnated with his own life and he called them the exact same thing. So this is why that some people in the message don't really like to use the word church. They like to use the word bride. I love the word bride myself. But I realize that because Satan chose to use the word church does not take away from the initial use of the word church by the Lord Jesus or by the apostles. Now the apostles could have used the term bride, but yet they didn't. They used the term church over and over and over again. Is that right? And if you read your Bible, you know that's right. The Lord Jesus could have used the term bride if you so wish, since it was his bride, but instead of doing that, he chose to use this term. So it still ought to be a special term to us today. Well, if we call ourselves church, then we're identified out there. That just shows you truly don't understand. But to me, if the Lord Jesus used it, if Paul used it, if the prophet of God used it, then it should be something that we feel at liberty to use today because it is still in effect today. Now, whenever the New Testament church was set up, it took them a little while to understand the orchestration by which the divine composer had set it all together. They did have shadows and types in the Old Testament to see that God had called them out and they were a body and God gave them different men in the body and they come through different dispensations of the Old Testament. And they know that they actually had seven church ages in the Old Testament, which began with Solomon. So the Solomonic age was the Ephesian age of the Old Testament. And then it comes right down to Malachi, which would have been the Laodicean age of the Old Testament, and they spewed him out. He in turn spewed them out. So we can see by the types and the shadows that God had something in mind. But still, there'd never been anything quite like the church. In the Old Testament church, they were called the called out. But in the New Testament church, they're not only going to be called out, but they're called in. And it will also not just be a move of God that the Spirit of God takes them and uses them as he did Moses and the prophets, but God would unveil himself or embody himself in their bodies. And it wouldn't just be the prophetic office that would have that, but every member of the body of Christ would have the same Holy Ghost. How many believe you got the same Holy Ghost Peter had? What if you've got the Holy Ghost you do? 
Now, notice then whenever they started uh, going into the function of the body. Now, initially, they didn't even understand the breaking of the grace to Gentiles. And remember, when Peter went over and preached to the household of Cornelius and the Jews heard about it, they got all upset. So Peter had to go back and rehearse to them over and over again and tell them what had happened. And they got all upset at Peter. And he said, it wasn't my fault. I was up there on the roof and the Lord gave me this dream and this vision. And I, you know, I said, don't call what I've called cleansed and don't call it unclean. So they really had a problem. Why? The light of the Gentiles had not yet opened up to the Jews. Oh, James was a beloved man. He was one of the first pastors of the church at Jerusalem. But read the book of James and you can see early on that James still did not see the dispensation of grace to the Gentiles the way God had revealed it to Paul. Remember when Paul preached to the Jews and the Jews laughed at him and there was some Gentiles there and Paul turned his back from the Jews and turned right there toward the Gentiles and said, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Why? Because God had opened up the light of the Gentiles unto the ministration of Paul. Remember, it was never James that went to a Gentile city. It was never Peter for years on end. It was Paul, the one that received the dispensation of light to the Gentiles. So under his administration, he began to go out. And what did they do? Where did Peter ever go? Where did James ever go? Tell me who was the great missionary that started out in the early church. It was not James. It was not Peter. It was Paul. Thank God for visionaries. You understand we have the same thing in the message. Many people, some of the ones even that we know today, had it been left up to them in the 50s and 60s, we would never have the books, the tapes, the churches that we have today. They would have felt like the coming of the Lord was so close at hand. They asked Brother Branham the question in 1964, should we keep on preaching? Should we have jail services? I'm glad we had men in this message that were visionaries to carry this message right on. Where would we be today if they would have sat down and just, well, the Lord's coming. There ain't nothing else for us to do. Aren't you glad some people had a vision? Well, I think we as the people of the living God ought to be the same way in the hour we're living. I believe the Lord Jesus could come in the morning, but just in case he don't, we're gonna have a church ready for tomorrow and for next week and for next year. Well, come on. The prophet of God preached that we ought to live every day as if though the Lord Jesus could come, but I read it yesterday afternoon and studying that he said the Lord may not come for 500 years. He said that we ought to live so that when we die and if we raise in the resurrection, when we went down, we were under the expectation that he was coming again. And when we raise in the resurrection, we will be just as fresh as we was whenever we went down. That's the proper balance of it. But notice the focus then of the New Testament church. Now they acknowledge, of course, Paul, and they acknowledge the founding fathers, but the main emphasis in the New Testament was not even just about Paul. The main emphasis was not just about the ministry. It was not just about Peter and and John, but the main emphasis from the beginning of the book of Acts right to the end of the book of Revelation was on the church. 
Paul did not, unlike many of the ministries of this day, Paul did not feel like that he had a ministry outside of the church. But he had a ministry that was for and sent to the church. So he was not a televangelist or something like that that really didn't have a home church or have a base by which they could work out of, but they were sent to the church, not the church sent to them. You see, it's so different today, and a lot of it, of course, the televangelists are to blame for a lot of it, because they project this thing so their ministry is larger than a lot of the churches. So they pull the money away from the churches and all this. Well, come on, preach with me. Why? Because they really don't emphasize the apostolic foundation. There were no televangelists in the book of Acts. There were no special preachers that was above everybody else and didn't really need a church. They didn't really need to go to church because they were bigger than the church. There was no such a thing in the Bible. And if you're doing that today, you're out of the Bible today. So there should be no minister in our message that is above the church, beyond the church, and don't need the church. Well, hallelujah. You wonder where I'm going, huh? Well, I'll tell you where I'm going. I'm going right in the pages of your Bible. Now what? So it was not just the individual in the New Testament that the focus is on. Now we know that the second fold of God's great mystery purpose was in his mind, first of all, that he would be able to project himself as being a human being. So everything that God was, he poured himself into Christ. Then everything Christ was, he poured himself into the church. And then the third fold of that was to bring them back to the Garden of Eden. So in order to pour himself, he must change himself from what he was in order to become a pourable substance. So before God could ever pour himself into Christ, there must be something pourable. How can you pour the eternal? How can you pour all that he was, all that he would ever be into the human body of the Lord Jesus? Well, it was that attribute of himself that he created the beginning of the creation of God was Christ. So it was the part of God which would be expressed in human form years on down the road. Is that right? Then the Lord Jesus would receive, be the recipient of this portable matter from God, which was what spirit. And then whenever the blood opened up on the cross, it released the ability for our souls to be cleansed. But not only the blood came out, but the spirit also came out. Water, blood, and spirit, three elements that puts us back into the body. So what does a believer have today? You don't have the natural blood on your soul. I don't have the natural blood of the Lord Jesus on my soul, but I'll have the token life on my soul which is the spirit of God. For all that God was he poured into Christ. All that Christ was he poured into the church. So he didn't pour everything he was into Paul. He didn't pour everything he was into Peter. But he poured all that he was into the church then the church is the main focus. It's not just this certain, certain preacher. And everybody rallies around this certain, certain preacher and oh, he's the great man. He's this, that, the other. That is a bunch of Laodicean nonsense. 
That is not in your Bible. It is not in the message of the hour. God's focus is the church, his sweetheart, the bride. Every God called minister is sent to minister to the bride. God does not call a man and make him a part or make him separate from the church. What ministry would I have were it not for the church body? What ministry would any preacher have were it not for the church body? I don't want to be excluded from the church. I hope and pray to God I'm part of her. That's the way I look at it. I don't look at it like I'm some great big something other above the church. Boy, you all need me desperately. That's only half the story. I need you just as much as you need me. I need your prayers. I want your fellowship. I want to be associated with you through eternity when there is no more time. Now you see, for us, this seems very strange. Some of y'all are sitting there wondering, what in the world is he saying? Where in the world is he going about? Why is this so strange to us? It's because we're more and more led to see and affected than what we realize. And we think, my, for years, we've lifted up this great man and that great man and that great man. And let's just be honest this morning. For many of the message folks, the whole thing about the message, it's all about Brother Branham. That's all they know. That's the main focus. They talk about Brother Branham more than they do Jesus. They talk about Brother Branham more than they do the bride and the tapes to to many of them all the tapes are is idolatry it's not so much what the tapes say it's just them saying the magical word tapes 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 as if there's some type of power even being projected friend that the tapes are the token where do we get such blasphemy the prophet of God himself said the blood of Jesus Christ the spirit of God in that blood is the token and not a tape. Their mentality was so different, I'm afraid, than what ours is even today. And yet we feel like that we're a restored church to what they believed, are we really? Their focus was the body. It was the church. Notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now Paul was by no means taking away from the value and the personal edification that a person got from speaking in tongues. I realize our modern day scholars want to say that Paul was just saying, well, they spoke in languages. Well, they did. They spoke in languages they didn't learn. It wasn't that they went to school and picked up Greek and Latin and Spanish and French and you know Afrikaans and all that, but they were speaking a mystery in the Spirit of God. They never learned this, and yet the Holy Ghost fell on them and would give them the ability to speak in a language that they didn't even know what it was. But the New Testament church was instructed in the edification of the body, not just the edification of the individual. Every member of the body of Christ is given a place and nobody else can take that. Notice this in verse three. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men. Now notice what they do when they prophesy. He that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, uh, Paul is not saying, well, I'll tell you what, because of that, nobody should speak in tongues. No, Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul was not discrediting the value of speaking in tongues, but when they were in the church, 
in church and having service. It was not for this one individual to jump up and speak in tongues and take the entire service and then that one done it and that one done it and that one done it and then the whole service was taken up by people speaking in tongues and then half a dozen individuals. They were so blessed and they shouted their hair down and they run around the building and they were so anointed and everybody else said, what was going on? What did they say? What, what in the world did they, what, what in the world? So Paul said, no, nope, don't do that when you come to church. Why? Their focus was the body, not just one individual in the body. Now what's this? But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men edification. Now notice this word. We'll look at all three of them. To edification. And the word edification means building. Wherewith one may edify the act of building or building up. The act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. So if you're hearing things that supposedly are prophecy and they're not edifying and building up the church, it ain't prophecy. Yea, I the Lord say, when you found out a lot of it wasn't yea, I the Lord anyway. Well, preach, Brother Donnie. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification. I know, look at the second word here, and exhortation, which is paraclesis, which is the same Greek root word that we get parakletos from, which is the word comforter that Jesus used in St. John 14. If I go down away, the comforter will not come, also St. John 15. And it's the same Greek word there, so it's paraclesis, and it is consolation, supplication, encouragement, solace, persuasive, discourse, stirring address. So this is what prophecy is supposed to do. It's to stir up people's hearts. It's to console them. Yea, I the Lord say. Somebody stand up and prophesy. Thus saith the Lord God. Tomorrow about four o'clock, there'll be a storm that'll pass through Johnson City. Don't be on the north side of Johnson City, but stay away from it. Tomorrow night or tomorrow evening, y'all look at your clocks. It's about time if that's the word of the Lord, that's gonna come to pass. Now, if that's the word of God, it will come to pass. Or you got a lying devil on you. All right, then if that comes to pass and we all gather here Wednesday night and you all heard about it or saw it and you looked at your watch and it was exactly four o'clock and you said, praise God, God is among us. But what if that same person would have stood up here on Sunday morning and spoken tongues for 15, 20 minutes, whatever more, and you didn't understand them, I didn't understand them, we received no edification, no consolation, or somebody soon said, oh, the Lord shows me there's somebody here today with a burden. Whoa, what a discerner. Ma, can I just rub your hand? Somebody's here with pain in their body. Yeah, all of us except for that baby I dedicated a while ago. Somebody's got back trouble, who ate? Somebody's got trouble, who ate? Hmm. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Notice this, paramecia. Any address, whether made for the purpose of persuading or of arousing and stimulating, of calming, consoling, consolation. Praise God. 
I can handle that kind of prophecy. Notice verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. You see, their focus was not just me. Well, it's about me. I want the air set to where I like it. I want the heat set to where I like it. Well, I'm telling you one thing right now. If the air and the heat is going to be set where I like it, the rest of y'all is going to burn up or freeze to death. Because my body temperature increases very, very high whenever I start preaching. And I'm wet plumb down to my socks whenever I get done. So if we're going to regulate it according to one person, why not regulate it according to the man that's speaking? And let's set it on about 55 so I'll be comfortable. And from this service on, y'all will look like Eskimos, right? And you'll consider this an igloo. So it's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about the body. So what do we try to do? We try to find a place to where in the singing and the music and the temperature and everything that we can all be able to find a happy medium somewhere. But since we are all Laodiceans, we all like our way. I and me and mine and ours and theirs and yours and all that and is secondary or third dairy or hundred dairy or whatever more. But the original church, they looked at the edification not just for one individual, including the preacher. But they looked at it that it would be the edification of the body. Now, it's not taking away from the value of someone speaking in tongues or that it was a marvelous experience, but he actually put greater value on those who prophesied than those who spoke in tongues. Why? Because he edified the church, which is the great end of the gospel. Seems strange, don't it? Seems unusual. Why? Because it was preferential by the Spirit of God that the whole body would be edified instead of just one individual. Now, I could stand up here today and start doing a series on Omi. And I could start back when I was a little boy and start telling you a lot of the things that I've been through. And I might bring it up Wednesday night till up when I was up in my 20s when I was cast out and rejected. And I could bring it on up to my 30s when I was cast down and rejected. Believe me, I could do a whole series on it. And you all could send me all kinds of cards and all kinds of letters and poor little you. Poor little brother Donnie. Poor little fella. He's been so rejected or I can follow the leading of the Spirit of God and worry about feeding you sheep food. I don't figure you can feed but so long on feeling sorry for me or feeling sorry for somebody else. I don't know about you, I'm fighting battles I've never fought before. I need strength for the hour that I live in. And I don't get it feeding on this man or that man or another man. I've got to feed on the unfailing body word of the Son of Man. Notice this in verse 5. I would 
that ye all spake with tongues. As long as the message you heard that read in the message church. But rather that you prophesied for greater, greater, greater. But the person himself is going to feel more blessed personally by just speaking in tongues because he's speaking mysteries in the spirit of God. Now, for those of you that have never done it before, it's an absolutely awesome thing. It is just absolutely wonderful. For those of you who have experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. But it is so awesome for you. Now, I, I love hearing folks whenever they're in the spirit and they're praying and my, they get called away in an unknown tongue or a language or something. I've heard it many times myself. And you're just there and you're like, wow, they're being so blessed. They're just being so blessed. But it really doesn't do that much for me what it does for them. You see, the foundation of the prophet receiving it in this day was that the edification when they are come together was for the body itself. So Paul actually says, I would rather, I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church. Ah, that the church may receive edifying. Now brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. Verse 12. Even so, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Wow. Seek, hunt, search for, long, let it be a thirst in you that you can excel, go beyond the boundary, that you won't just meet the requirement, but you will actually go above and beyond that the church may be edified by you attending it. Oh my goodness, I wonder what kind of assembly we would have here. If every person would take this one verse of scripture and make it part of the goals of your life. God, I am going to seek to excel to the edifying of the church. What can I do, Lord? And let me tell you up front, much of what will need to be done will not be in the limelight. Right. It will not be that many people will even know you do it. That's right. But you don't care if the Lord wakes you up at three in the morning or four in the morning or whatever it is to pray for the pastor or pray for the deacons or pray for Brother Darrell or Brother West, whoever it is going out preaching, you don't care about that. That don't make no difference. You don't have to go and blow a trumpet. Well, I was up at four this morning. Hallelujah. And the Lord laid it on my heart. Glory to God to pray for Brother Donnie. Brother Lou, would you announce that this morning, please, brother? I'd at least like for everybody to know if I go to sleep in church, you've been better off to sleep in your bed. 
What a strange view this man had. Not really. You know, what makes it so strange is because we have had generations and generations of me and I and preachers exalting themselves. Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wow. Above, above casting out devils, above healing the sick. Why is it that we so want gifts and manifestations that are visible before others? And ain't a wonder we don't have no more than we do. It ain't a bitter wonder to me that God don't trust some of us any more than he does because it is our old rotten, stinking flesh that gets in the way. Preach, Brother Donnie. Oh, my. Notice this. Even so, for as much as you're zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Look at this word edifying. Wherewith one may edify the act of building up. The act, same word before, of another's Christian growth, wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. Wherefore let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Verse 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. So this guy wasn't a Baptist guy, was he? He wasn't a Lutheran that didn't believe in speaking in tongues. He talked in tongues more than all of them. But he caught the spirit of Christ, which was the greater aspect of edification to the body. Why would he say that a person who prophesied was greater than a person who spoke in tongues? It is a further advancement of the spirit of Christ. Christ was so wonderful in heaven. He was so awesome as he was the firstborn of the eternal. When the eternal spoke out of eternity and gave birth to his own son, which was the Logos, the word. He was so awesome, but he became greater greater when he come to the church and gave his life to edify the body. A person who speaks in tongues, speaks mysteries, has great blessings of God. But the person who prophesies moves into a greater fulfillment of the nature of Jesus himself. As I said, a lot of what is called prophecy it don't produce this in the first place. Look at a lot of the so-called prophets and prophecy that we've heard over the years and around the message. What a lot of them do? Get all puffed up. Oh, look at me, look at our church. We have tongues, we have this, that, and the other. Uh-huh, you're telling us right there you ain't got the original, because if it was original, you'll be edifying the church. Amen. Bless God, if you don't come the way we do, that shows right there you're missing something. Amen. Notice how Paul looked at this. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that my, my voice, I might teach others than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Five words outweigh 10,000 
in spiritual heavenly language at the inappropriate time. Why you are that important to God. God don't call a preacher to come and edify himself. He don't call singers or musicians to be able to do their gifts and their abilities to edify themselves. His whole purpose was edify the church. That the church may be blessed. That the church may be edified. That the church may be exhorted. The church may be comforted. Praise God. Brethren, be not children and understand it. How be it in malice be children? Ma, I hope we're not chill, we're not grown-ups and malice and children and understanding. Brethren, be not children and understanding. How be it in malice be ye children? But in understanding, be men. Mature, of a mature age. In other words, grow up. Notice this in verse 26. I know this ain't something to make a shout, but it'll make us better. How is it, brethren, when you... Oh, no. You mean, oh, why did I leave that up there? Look at that, I bolded that too. My goodness. All caps. How is it, brethren, when ye stay at home? Friends, don't you see why Satan so hates this? Why he hates the assembling of ourselves together? So the New Testament church believed in coming together. When you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto is there anything wrong with a psalm? No, not in the right place. Anything wrong with doctrine? Not unless it's false doctrine. Paul was not blessing, he was not blessing doctrine, he was not blessing psalm, but what he was blessing was to the Corinthian people when they come together, they're a very great gifted church. And when they'd come together, they couldn't even minister to the body because this one had a revelation. Hey, I want to say something. Oh, glory to God. The Lord showed me this. Hallelujah, glory to God. And somebody else with this and the revelation. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And another say, sit down, let me speak in tongues to you. And all this was going on inside the church and Paul was saying, what's wrong with you all? Notice none of them were cursing. None of them were smoking cigarettes. None of them brought their tobacco to church and spitting hamburger on the floor. Every one of them was doing spiritual things, but they were not excelling to the edification of the body. You believe what you want, okay? I don't believe there'll be one member that'll go out of this world in the rapture who are not a part of this right here. This is the alpha bride that went down into the ground. 
The Omega Bride must be the same way. She cannot be self-centered, self-focusing individuals and churches and so on. If you don't come to our church, bless God, you ain't as spiritual as we are. Get that old denominational thing off of you. They must be people that are so focused on the body of Christ around the world. Notice this, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or the most by three and that by course. Why in the world would he say this? Because three or four or five or six of them was up at one time. One speaking in tongues over here, one speaking in tongues over there, another speaking in tongues over here. Maybe the guy on the pulpit is speaking in tongues. So there's four or five of them speaking in tongues. So Paul said, no! Now I'd like to ask you one thing. Who gave Paul the authority to say two and by no more than three? Amen. If some of you had been living in Paul's day, you'd step and say, I want a scripture for that. He said, I just gave it to you. But if you would check Paul out by the Bible, where would you reference this at? You see, the real saints of God believed a prophet of God was not only called to interpret the written word, but he was also called to receive the rhema word from God, which hadn't even been written down yet. That's what I believe too. Same thing about a prophet of our age. You believe that? Oh my If there be no interpreter. Let him keep silence in the church. Well, ain't that quenching the spirit of God? Well, I just couldn't help it. I just just couldn't help it. I, I had to interrupt the preacher. I just had to do it. Paul said, no. The spirit of God will not break the teaching of God. The spirit of Christ is subject to Christ's teaching. Now, did it mean that that person was just, oh, I just feel it so bad. Does that mean there's a devil on them? No. But Paul said, just control it. This is not the right place or the right time. Well, hallelujah. Let him keep silence in the church. Oh my goodness. And let him speak to himself. Oh, what can I go to do, Brother Donnie? If I just speak to me. Because it's for you. Unless, of course, you want all the rest of us to know that you speak in tongues. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Why? The church. The church, not the preacher, not the tongue talker, not the prophesier, not the singer, the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So as the head possesses the body, And the sovereignty expresses his will through the members that's in the body. So the Holy Ghost wants to possess the body of Christ. Notice this in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has set some in the church first, apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. 
the first rank or order in superior honor in the office, according to Paul, is apostles. Of course, message folks can't believe that scripture. I'm talking about denominational message folks. If you're a Bible-believing message folk, you can say amen to it. Notice Revelation 21, 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So Jesus Christ built his church on the revelation of the word, and the apostles and the prophets were them foundations by which Christ himself was laid. Christ himself laid his own mystical body on the foundation of the teaching of the apostles. This is why, friends, Brother Branham never come to lead us away from the Bible. Brother Branham did not come to lead us away from the teaching of Paul. As a matter of fact, when he went beyond the curtain of time, he said, if Paul's group goes in, mine will too. What he taught by baptism, I taught the same thing. And then millions of voices, which I believe one of them was me, said, we are resting on that. If you try to put Brother Branham against Paul, you need a revelation. You don't understand the message at all. Brother Branham, come to restore our hearts back to the faith of the original apostolic doctrine. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. And what did they preach? Christ Jesus and his church. Let's take a little tour, fast tour. Came in through the scripture. Acts chapter eight, verse one. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse three. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Acts eleven twenty one, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then the tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they, they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. Who? The church. Not a preacher raising up outside the church. I don't need the church. Bless God, I don't need the church's approval. That ain't apostolic. The church sent Barnabas. Well, praise the Lord. Y'all need to read more of this Bible instead of Facebook. Well, praise the Lord. Verse 25, and they departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves. Wow. So you mean a real prophet of God goes to church? So Paul didn't go on the outside of the city and start another little group. But he actually assembled himself. Why? Because he knew he was not set in opposition to the church, but he was sent to them to help them. Praise God. And they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first. 
in Antioch. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod, king, stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. Notice, friend. I don't know if you ever noticed this or not. These terms are used over and over and over again in the New Testament. What was the focus? The church. Notice, this word is not used. That the church was persecuted when Jesus was alive. The church was not persecuted until after Jesus come in the church. They persecuted him. They wanted to kill him. But once he got in the church, the devil had more sense about the church than what a lot of church folks have about the church, don't they? The devil considered, and I said, this is my enemy. Why? He said, this is the continuation of the work of the Lord Jesus himself. Peter's not preaching himself. John ain't preaching himself. Paul ain't preaching himself. But they're preaching Christ. The very works I saw in him, I see in them. They are believing. They are purporting. They are preaching and doing the same thing. The Bible says that they took note of Peter and John, that they were ignorant and unlearned. But they did take note of this one thing. They had been with Jesus. Praise God. Notice in verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of So when they got in trouble, who did they contact? The church. Not just the pastor. Not just the deacons. But they believed God heard the prayers of his saints. So the saints began to pray. Peter was a part of the body. Amen. They needed Peter. And the church got to praying. Praise God. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now they were in the church. That was at Antioch. Certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manim which brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So look at the prophets and the teachers. They were not without the church. They were raised up in the church. Praise God. Chapter 14, verse 26. And thence we sailed to Antioch, and from thence, from whence we have been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. When they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. Now, can you imagine? These big great evangelists, these great prophets, and these great, great ministers that they had. They didn't set up in some headquarters somewhere. I'll tell you one thing. I don't need them bunch of little peons down there. They're nothing. No way. Just send your tithes up here and word to this and that. You know what? They wanted to get among the church people and say, look, this is what we was able to do. It was your money that sent us overseas. It was your prayers that kept us safe while we were there. What were they doing? Allowing the church to hear and see the glory that God had made manifest. Instead of sending out some great big sum, well, I've done this and I've done that and I led so many to Christ and pictures of me baptizing and pictures of me doing this and pictures of me of doing something else. Come on, don't sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Where has this come from? Hollywood. It's come from Hollywood and all of our preachers are glamorizing the gospel and trying to make it a second Hollywood. We don't need Hollywood in the pulpit. We need the Holy Ghost. This is the way the early church did it. Whew. 
Oh, my. Notice Acts 15, 2, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to Jerusalem. Who did? The church. So there's a problem here with circumcision. There was a problem with these doctrines. And the church said, you know what, Paul? You and Barnabas, you brothers need to go up here to Jerusalem and try to work this thing out. You mean the church would dare tell a prophet of God? You see, friends, why is this so strange to us? We don't know our Bible. We're reading our Bible through the tradition of message preachers. There should never be a spirit in you that cannot say amen to every word in your Bible. And don't be concerned that the message is going to conflict the Bible. It only does it by your understanding. Oh my. Notice in verse 3. And being brought on their way by the limousines and the great entourage of cameras. Smile. Smile. How's this one? How about if I hold my Bible on a sermon? Great, great, great. Yes, great, great. They were brought on the way by the church. So there was farmers, goldsmiths, silversmiths, poor people, people that seemed so insignificant, not to the Lord Jesus and not to Paul. Paul was a Roman citizen. He used that citizenship every now and then when he got in trouble. So he could have been heralded by people of prestige. No doubt he considered it the greatest honor of his life up to that time to be escorted by the church of the living God. I've been in foreign airports before. When I was coming back off the mission field to preach conventions and things, little saints of God, if they know when you're going to arrive, they, they want to show up. And they see your face on the internet, of course. And they want to be there. And I've been there when representatives of certain nations and, you know, big corporations, and there'd be people standing out there with their name on the sign, Mr. So-and-so. Have a big old long black limousine sitting outside. And I've had some of them brothers come and pick me up in a car that some of you brothers would scrap. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you one thing, they didn't make a limousine fine enough to be able to compare to them little brothers coming picking me up. Whether it was in Harare, Zimbabwe, or Johannesburg, South Africa, or India, wherever it was, I counted such an honor. I hope I never get to a spot that I look down my nose at the people of God as if though they are trash, they are not trash. They are the heartbeat of heaven. They are the very reason we are called to preach. You singers, you deacons, us ministers, we are called to serve these people, not them to serve us. Amen. 
They brought on their way by the church and they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders and they declared all things that God had done with them. You see, not working outside the church with the church. Acts 18, 22, when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. The actions and behavior of a real man of God. Acts 20, 17, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. 1 Corinthians 1, 12, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, was all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. First Corinthians eleven eighteen. For first of all, when you come together in the church, it'd be hard for a lot of folks to do that today, wouldn't it? Look, friend, I realize there's a lot of folks. No doubt, there were aged folks, there were sick folks that couldn't get to come to church, but they wasn't there because they didn't want to be. They wasn't there because they didn't think they needed to be. They couldn't be. Oh my. I hear that there are divisions among you and I partly believe it. You know, Paul had referenced this and he made reference to Chloe. I have heard from them of the household of Chloe. I always felt sorry for Sister Chloe. Bless her heart. I wonder how many of them people read that and said, blabbermouth. <laughs> so you mean to tell me Paul could preach things that he knew? Yep, just as well as the things he didn't know. Notice this. Paul with the rest of the apostles were called to preserve, to administer, to bring to salvation, to lead to the new birth, the body, the church. Are we called to the same? First Corinthians fourteen thirty-five. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. 2 Corinthians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Acacia. Ephesians 1, 22, and who put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. The church was not looked down on by the elect. It was not considered, but not even necessary, not even essential. It was everything. They gathered around it. They knew Jesus gave himself for that body of believers. And when they were handling that bride, they were handling his wife. Let's bow our heads together. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How many wants to be an edification? to the church, the body, the bride. Oh, I do, friends. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I'm not sure that even those of us who've been in church for years of our lives, if we still comprehend what a great honor and privilege it is to be identified with the church. Forgive us for merging in Hollywood, Lord. Many of the ministers, they projected in such a way that the people are so blessed to have them. And we know that there's an element of truth to that for sure. But if we're not careful, we'll show change it around to where all the emphasis is on that great preacher. How great he is, how deep he is, how wonderful. And it all becomes about him. And then if people ever lose confidence in him, what happens to them? Many of them leave the message. Many of them backslide and go away. Why? Because their confidence was in that great man instead of the great Lord Jesus. I thank you for every man of God, but I thank you for the church. For one day, dear God, when we walk down the streets of gold and we all gather in your home, that you prepared for us. There won't be no preaching. There won't be no doctrine being discussed by us ministers. But what will be forever and forever and forever? Your church. And us ministers will be right there with your body. Those that we've led. Those that we've prayed through. Those that we've been able to help grasp eternal life. The church was before preaching, and the church will be after preaching. One day I'll lay my Bible down and I'll never pick it up again. I'll never have to study hours. I'll never have to look through hundreds of quotes, but I'll lay it down. But will that be the end of me? No. I'll be identified with the church for eternity. So if I've got a spirit in me now that don't want to be identified with God's elect. I wonder where I'll be at that day. I counted on honor, Lord, to be identified as part of the church. Oh, praise God. I counted on honor to have a place where we can come to worship, to sing, to pray. Lord, I was so blessed a while ago by the saints and those groups singing, just wonderful. We thank you that it's not just for the preacher. It's not just for three or four musicians and two or three hand-picked people. But you've got a body around the world. It won't be Brother Branham that'll be crowning you that day. It won't be Paul. It won't be John. It'll be the church of the living God. Praise God. Solomon said his mother had crowned him. And we know it was the crown of nuptials that the bridegroom would receive. So the bridegroom received the crown of nuptials. But then we know whenever they come together, which we'll get to if we ever get into this series, that after they got married, and they, under their hoopah, said their exchange of vows, then the man takes her straight away into the secret chamber. And the vows are sealed together. Hallelujah. And the friend of the bridegroom 
stands on the outside of the secret chamber and the bridegroom lets out a shout. Glory to God. And the friend of the bridegroom rejoices and makes an announcement. The vows have been consummated. Then the bride and the bridegroom come out and both of them are crowned. And they wear that crown for a week. And there they have a celebration. Praise God. Praise God. We know for 2,000 years you have been waiting for your crown to be placed upon your head. You're the only king in history that conquered your enemies 2,000 years ago and you've not yet received your crown because you cannot receive yours until your sweetheart receives hers. We will crown you and you will crown us. And we will come back to the earth for a millennium, a marriage supper that'll be extended from the table there in heaven and we'll come back down and have the honeymoon on the earth for a thousand years. Praise God. Who will it be at that table? The bridegroom and his church. I'm proud to be identified with her now, Lord. Lord God, as long as I have breath, strength, and life, help me. Help me, Father, that I'll never change the focus away from the edification of the body to thinking it's about me or about some other person, but it's about you and the love of your life. For truly, you and your bride are soulmates. Hallelujah. You loved her before the foundation of the world. Praise God. And you come to redeem us, Lord. I'm glad to be identified with your church. Not only the mystical part. A lot of folks say that they can identify with that. I'm glad to be identified with local assemblies. I've been privileged by you, Lord God, to travel all over the United States and all over the world. And physically, when I've not been able to go in the last several years, our services have gone in places I could never physically go. I'm proud. Oh, it's not that we look at, well, they're so blessed to have us. We are blessed to have them. We're blessed to be identified with brothers and sisters around the world. The church of the living God. Father, if they don't get anything else out of the service, may this one scripture so impact their heart today that they may seek to excel to the edifying of the body. What can I do for the body? What can I do for the mystical body? What can I do for my local assembly? What can I do for Happy Valley? What can I do for the ministry? Help them to see we don't always need their money. It's their prayers. It's their concern. It's their care. Oh, grant it, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Don't you love him today, saints? Is there anybody here with your heads bowed and your eyes closed that would just be honest and say, Lord, I don't guess I've looked at it quite right. I've never looked at it in this light before. I want to edify the body. Lord, I guess I have thought about me more, really, than I should have. Anybody with me want to raise your hands to God? Help me, Lord Jesus. Lord, I believe I live my life for others. But I know living your life for others is not just necessarily buying the wood of coal because people do that that ain't right with God. 
It ain't just giving gifts at Christmas and it ain't just helping the Salvation Army and giving a little bit over here and buying Bibles for the Gideons, but it's actually living our life for others. That Spirit of God inside of us that helps us. The difference is we can live for the man that hates us. For a person that does it only for recognition, they do it for appreciation. But the life of eternal God living inside of us helps us to love and pray for those that would absolutely kill us if they could do it and get by with it. Help me to edify the body, Lord Jesus. With what I preach, with what I study, Lord, with the direction the services go, help every singer, help every one of these brothers that lead the singing. Help them to focus on one thing when they stand up here, to edify the church. Help every special singer, every musician, every, every deacon, every officer, Lord. Oh, God, that we can focus and pull together. It's to edify the body of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, me more like thee. Why did Jesus come to the earth? To edify you. Can we sing this before we go? Make me more like thee. Sing it to him now with all your hearts. Oh, give me.
Oh, have you enjoyed church today? Do you appreciate the word of the Lord? I'm in this church. I'm in this church. I see church in a new light today. How about you? I appreciate the church. Amen. Brother Donnie, God bless you. We appreciate that message today. Praise the Lord. Let's sing this as we get ready to go this morning. Choir, thank you so much. You've done so good this morning. Give them a nice hand if you would. Praise the Lord. Amen. Lord willing, service here Wednesday night. But let's sing this song. I think we can sing it with a, uh, just a, a new vigor about us this morning. I'm in this church. It's a glorious church. Let's sing about it if you will. I'm in this church. It's a glorious church. 